This program contains grown-up themes and language that the FCC doesn't like. Use your common sense. You're listening to Beautiful Red, a novel by M. Darusha Wayne. Find out more at darusha.ca slash beautifulred. Jack found herself in a small vestibule before a locked metal grating at the bottom of a long, narrow, straight stairwell. A voice crackled from a speaker in the ceiling. There's a network here. Upload the map you were given so we can confirm the checksum. Jack drew a deep breath and turned her system on. She was, indeed, online, though the signal was weak. She found that an address had been sent to her, and she replied with a copy of the map. The upload seemed to take forever, but almost immediately as soon as it was done, a buzzer sounded and the grating in front of her swung open. Jack walked up the stairs, jumping as the grate behind her clanged shut. She checked the monitor to discover the already weak signal getting weaker with each step she took. By the time she reached the top of the staircase, she was offline again. She turned left at the top of the stairs and was first greeted by a large image showing herself from a few minutes ago when she was standing at the bottom of the stairs. The quality of the imagery couldn't touch what she got from her micro-recorders, but its graininess only served to make the situation more unnerving. Jack looked around and noticed the recorder near the speaker. The image on the viewer jumped to show the now-empty stairwell. Jack walked into the main entrance and saw a room to her left with a few people milling around several viewers and a whole lot of cables. On her right was a table with snacks and drinks, a couple of people sitting behind the table talking to the guests, and a couple of viewers behind them. Jack moved to the room to her right, and noticed that the viewers in this room were showing images of the goings-on in the other room. She walked up to the table and took a beer. She wasn't taking any chances, and made sure it was unopened. Hi, she said to the two people behind the table. I'm Box and Jester. She gave the identity she'd been using on the outlaw boards. It felt strange to say the word aloud. It had been many years since she'd said that name. Nice to meet you, the man on the left said. They call me Mojo, and this is Lafayette, he said, turning to the woman on his right. Lafayette smiled and said, The stuff is all free, pointing to the drinks and snacks, but we'll be taking donations for the work later on. She grinned disarmingly, and Jack smiled back. But, uh... Jack said, not wanting to seem stupid, but legitimately unsure. How? The two at the table laughed, and Mojo said to the woman next to him, We really ought to put up signs or something at these events. Lafayette nodded and turned to Jack, saying, You know how you uploaded the map in the stairwell? Jack nodded. Well, we have nodes that create a localized wireless access point to our network. We'll turn one on when it's time to hit everyone up for money. She winked, and Jack found herself smiling, in spite of herself. The pair seemed friendly enough, and Jack knew that they almost certainly were not the people responsible for Estella Rowan and the man from Streeter's Alley. But she needed to remain focused on why she was here. It wasn't to meet new and interesting people. It was to find her way to the people who were responsible for that atrocity. Still, she knew that if she was going to get any information from this event, she had to get along with the group here. She grinned at the duo and said, I guess that's pretty obvious now that I think of it. So, where's a good place to start? 
We've got examples of some of our more recent actions hanging in the gallery, Mojo said, gesturing with a flick of his head. That's the next room. And later, we'll be screening some work from the other chapters, Lafayette added, and talking a little bit about the philosophy of the group. It's always great to see new people interested in our work. She sounded genuinely interested in sharing her vision, whatever that might be. Jack thanked them, helped herself to a beer, and suggested that they might talk later. She moved on as a couple of new arrivals took her place at the table. She sipped her beer and wandered around the room she was in. It appeared to be a working space for the group, some kind of art studio or machine shop. There were piles of random electronics, the kind you would find on a street or sidewalk rug, and cables snaked over the floor, up the walls, and through the ceiling. There was what appeared to be a half-built drone, though it did not seem to have any disc or silicon built in yet. Perhaps it was supposed to be a statue. Jack was having a hard time deciding if the group thought of itself as a low-tech engineering cult or an artistic collective. She made her way down the only corridor in the place and found her way to the washroom. She sat on the toilet, put her head in her hands, and tried to figure out what she was doing there. After a moment or two, she used the facilities, ran some cool water over her face, and returned to the main room. Along her way, she noticed blankets, pillows, and stacks of dishes in discreet piles in that back area of the studio. She couldn't tell for sure how many people must be living there, but it was more than two or three. As she moved into the main room, she wondered what it was like, living off-network and in such close quarters with other people. By now, a few more guests had joined the gathering and were milling about the room. She was going to have to interact with the others at some point, but she wasn't sure how to strike up a conversation with the other people in attendance. A very pretty androgynous-looking person in a glowing green overcoat solved that problem by clutching at Jack's sleeve and gushing, It's such interesting work, don't you think? Jack answered that it was, and asked her new friend what it was about the work that was most fascinating. Oh, for me it has to be the interplay between the complexity of technology and the simplicity of the performance, the critic said, clutching Jack's sleeve more desperately. What is it for you? I, uh, am not as familiar with the work, Jack fumbled. I really only heard about the group recently from a friend who suggested it might be something I would enjoy. Really? Jack's companion said, leaning into her. Jack could smell a light dusting of perfume that she was sure was laced with pheromones coming from beneath the overcoat. Jack would have to watch herself around someone so obviously into attraction. Oh, you'll love the work. Let me show you the gallery. Thank you, Jack said, deftly removing the hand from her sleeve. I'm called Boxingester. Oh, silly me, her guide said. Call me Phoenix. It came out as if the word had extra syllables somehow. The breath expelled directly toward Jack's ear. She was being played, and she knew it. Still, a source of information was a source of information. And Phoenix was terribly attractive, even if it was disturbingly obvious that the attraction was a creation of a clever salon. Jack let Phoenix guide her into the other room, the gallery. There were more people in here, talking and looking at the exhibits. There were several viewers showing examples of the work, as well as still images framed on the walls and hanging from the high ceiling. Behind the exhibits, the walls had been painted in several colors with slogans and tags, the painting happening over time and in layers. Every square millimeter of wall had been graffitied several times over. It made an interesting and appropriate backdrop to the work on display. This is one of my absolute favorites, Phoenix breathily said, 
steering Jack to a still image on the wall. It showed several members of what Jack assumed was a red chapter, half of them wearing gear that entirely covered their heads, made of goggles, cables, and microphones, the other half looking like normal members of the public. The normal ones wore shirts, reading before. The mechanized people wore shirts, reading after. They were all arranged outside a prominent upgrade salon, smiling for the image as if they were in some firm's news story. It was one of the first pieces, Phoenix explained, and the salon tried to arrest the group. Of course, they couldn't pay any fine at all, so they had nothing to lose. Phoenix laughed, the sound like a feather up and down Jack's spine. But they didn't get anywhere anyway. Artistic expression still counts for something, goddammit. Jack smiled, recognizing a common political discussion on some of the boards. Where does art fit into modern society? What business value does it bring, and who pays for it? Jack usually stayed away from such obvious political discussion, but she suspected that this type of question was at the core of the group's work. I know, she vaguely agreed. That's some piece. Phoenix smiled and led Jack to the next installation. This was an action piece on a viewer, and Jack took the seat Phoenix found for the two of them. Phoenix's right hand strayed over to Jack's left knee and stayed where it landed. Jack let it be for the time being. The viewer showed a group of reds slowly walking down a busy city street. They were conspicuously observing everything they encountered. Buildings, signs, the pavement, other people. Some stopped to read graffiti or talk to a streeter. Others simply watched everything they passed with a passive curiosity. Of course, almost all the other people were in the half-days of keeping one eye on the physical world and one eye on the nets. Even Jack noticed how the installation made it clear that the normal people were the ones who looked odd, as if they were automatons. Maybe it was just her recent experience with being unconnected that made her see it this way, or maybe she was just spending too much time with these people and their strange ideas. But there was no doubt who looked like the freaks. That's quite powerful, she said, her breathing getting a little shallow. She had a sip of her beer and inhaled deeply. Their work is amazing, Phoenix said. There's nothing like it. I would imagine not, Jack said. I've certainly never seen anything like it. She felt Phoenix's hand move up her leg, the heat of flesh through the fabric of her pants. She felt herself getting flush and felt a rush of heat between her legs. Christ, she thought, as if I need this now. She lightly brushed Phoenix's hand away and stood up. I'm going to grab another beer, she said, smiling broadly. Want one? Phoenix looked slightly put out, but smiled back. Sure. Jack escaped to the other room, allowing her heart rate to slow and the blood flow to return to her brain. She picked out a couple of bottles and smiled at Mojo and Lafayette, who were still on door duty. I'm really impressed so far, she said. Those performances are incredible. Thanks, Mojo said, seeming to be genuinely pleased by the compliment. I like to think that our chapter has some of the most artistic members. He leaned in close, and Jack could tell that he had had a few more drinks than she had by this point. To tell the truth, some of those other chapters take the politics way more seriously than they should. I mean, the ideas are good, but it's really about the art, right? Lafayette smiled. Well, we think so, she said to Mojo. To Jack, she said, the leaders are going to be making a presentation in about, she looked at a standalone clock, 40 minutes or so. You'll get to hear plenty about the politics then. Jack smiled, her heart pounding. This was what she wanted. Leaders. 
politics, a manifesto of some sort. She felt like she was getting close to something. She also felt warmth behind her as the smell of Phoenix's cologne tickled her nose. There you are, Phoenix said, taking the unopened beer out of Jack's hand. I was wondering where you ran off to. Mojo and Lafayette smirked at each other, and Lafayette leaned over to Jack. You've got some time before anything interesting happens, she whispered, and there's some space back by the washroom. She winked, and Jack felt herself get flushed. Uh, thanks, I guess, she said, as Phoenix took her hand and led her toward the back hallway. Jack found herself in the back room with Phoenix, the beer bottle safely on the floor in a corner. She had been full of tension in the past three days, and had contemplated something like this only a day earlier. But here she was, in the den of the enemy, with a complete stranger. Oh, for God's sake, she thought, it's not like all the people I could fuck on the nets aren't strangers, too. She gave in and found herself enveloped by Phoenix's soft, strong arms. Their lips touched, and Jack was reminded how much more powerful body-touching was to Netzacks. Jack hadn't been with someone physically in almost twenty years, and she nearly lost herself in the sensuality of the kiss. The smell of Phoenix's hair, the feeling of it between Jack's fingers, while their mouths found each other, their tongues touching lightly at first, then more forcefully. Jack's hand, almost as if it had its own will, crept into Phoenix's overcoat, finding the delta between the legs. Ah, Phoenix sighed. Aha, Jack said. So that's what you've got. She grinned, then the smile turned to a gasp, as Jack felt those long, slender fingers on her stomach, then moving slowly into her trousers and between her legs. Those fingers have definitely been enhanced, Jack thought for a brief moment, but then she wasn't really able to think at all. They touched each other, slowly at first, then their hands moved more feverishly, working into a rhythm all their own. They kissed and grabbed each other until they both came, Phoenix first, then Jack with a stifled yell as she buried her face into Phoenix's neck. Afterward, they stood together, panting and glowing with exertion. Thanks, Phoenix said. You're very nice, and that was very, very nice indeed. Thanks yourself, Jack laughed, the tension finally gone from her mind and body. You'll still show me around the gallery? Phoenix playfully slapped Jack's cheek. I'm not that kind, my dear. I'm genuinely interested in talking to anyone who will put up with my long-winded ramblings. Jack laughed and straightened her clothes while Phoenix did the same. Shall we go hear what the exalted leaders have to say? Yes, Jack said, picking up their beers from where she'd left them. Let's. You've been listening to Beautiful Red by M. Darusha Wayne. Find out more at d-a-r-u-s-h-a dot c-a slash beautiful red or subscribe for free at patiobooks.com The theme music is low-level format by Bjorn Fogelberg. Learn more about Bjorn's music at fogelberg.com and you can buy the album Karushi Porn at magnatune.com If you have feedback, I'd love to hear it. Leave a comment on the website, send email to darusha at darusha.ca, or call the listener line at 206-339-8577. Thanks for listening.